Relationships are the heart of expansion. They are the most contrasting experiences in our life, meaning that they cause the greatest joy and also the greatest suffering. They are the means for our personal expansion. And as such, in our relationships, we need to learn how to allow for that change. Any kind of personal evolution means change. So to have a harmonious relationship, we need to learn how to evolve together instead of evolve apart. Another way of saying this is that we need to find a way to cultivate harmony while allowing that change to take place. Talk about difficult. What we're talking about is unconditional love. And unconditional love is an exchangeable concept with enlightenment. So we may practice unconditional love, the art of finding it, for lifetime upon lifetime. It's a practice even for those of us who are the most evolved on the planet. I've compiled an itemized list of the most important keys or tips for helping that harmony take place. You could call this the tips for how to have a successful relationship, whether that relationship is romantic in nature or platonic in nature. Step one, cultivate unconditional love instead of attachment. What most of us call love or falling in love is not actually love, it's attachment. Unconditional love is the state of being purely positively focused in an attitude of appreciation for something that we're paying attention to. It means that in this moment I am purely focused on that which I enjoy looking at relative to you. That's much different than what we actually call love on a normal day-to-day -day basis in this society. What we're calling love, which is actually attachment, is the need for another person. What that means is, you fulfill some need which I don't feel capable of fulfilling for myself, and so I feel a void when you're not around, because the absence of you means that need will be unfulfilled. And thus, my happiness is dependent on what you do and don't do. That is attachment. That's not actual unconditional love. We will lead happier lives if we can get into the modality of unconditional love and provide our own needs for ourselves and find other healthy ways for them to get met instead of seeking them through other people. Now before you go ahead and feel bad about yourself because you haven't mastered this yet, I want you to stop and think for a minute. How many people do you actually know that have mastered unconditional love? People who can remove their own happiness from what other people do or don't do to them or for them. No one, right? Myself included. I actually don't know a single person incarnated on this earth who is in an aspect of unconditional love 24 hours a day. And even those who I know who are pretty good at culturing that in platonic relationships still have not mastered it when it comes to romantic relationships. So no more expecting yourself to reach some level of perfection. This is a practice. It's a practice for every single one of us. No matter how evolved you think you are, you've still got more to go when it comes to unconditional love.
I want to be very clear that this does not mean that you need to learn how to stay in relationships with people who harm you or who you don't actually feel enjoyment by being around just for the sake of learning how to unconditionally love. Because this is not unconditionally loving to yourself. It simply means you can only know unconditional love when that love and your happiness is not conditioned upon what other people do or don't do. We cultivate unconditional love and the state of non-attachment by providing that love for ourselves and by providing needs for ourselves and by finding ways to make ourselves happy separate of what any other person in our experience does or does not do. All spiritual practice is dedicated towards discovering how to unconditionally love. Every single thing you do that gets you more happiness, every single thing you do that brings you more inner peace, everything that any spiritual self-help guru type is going to teach you is going to help you come into contact with learning how to unconditionally love. So, like I said, your quest towards enlightenment is the same thing as the quest towards unconditionally loving. So literally anything you do that benefits your life is going to be helping you to match this particular tip of unconditional love versus attachment when it comes to culturing successful relationships. Tip number two, cultivate love for yourself. Your relationships are nothing more than the mirror of the relationship you have with yourself. It is impossible for you to be in any relationship that is not an exact mirror of some aspect of your relationship with you. So if you improve the relationship with you, all of your relationships externally are going to change to match that new improved state of attitude that you hold towards yourself. So if you want to start having better relationships, you've got to start thinking thoughts, saying things, and taking actions which are in alignment with self-love, which are in alignment with your highest good. At the heart of every major relationship problem is a problem between you and yourself. When self-concept is damaged, your relationships will show up damaged as well. And nothing works faster to improve your relationships than improving your quality and quantity of love for yourself. I have written a book about how to love yourself, which is currently seeking a publisher. But many self-help guru types talk about how to love yourself. They talk about how to go about doing things in your life, structuring the way you're thinking differently so that you can be more self-loving. I would try any and all of them that you can find because it never hurts to try something. You just might find something that works. Tip number three. Work to discover and to release your fears relative to relationships. There is nothing that damages relationships or your life experience in general more so than fear. And there's not a single human being incarnated on this planet that does not have some kind of fear relative to relationships and relative to love. You might have heard the expression, we are all fools in love. There is an actual biological reason why. Humans are born about three months premature. If we were born completely developed the way that most other mammals are, we would not be able to fit through the mother's birth canal. Because we are born immature, we have absolutely no way of meeting our needs in the first few months of life, and so our survival is entirely dependent on our caregivers. More than that, our survival is entirely dependent on our caregivers loving us. The first thing we learn in our lives is that if our caregivers do not love us, our needs will not be met and we will eventually die. Because of this, it becomes very important that we do anything we can do to get love, because our brain 
which is of course the organ in charge of ensuring our survival, equates love to survival. The sympathetic nervous system is in charge of our survival response. The part of our brain called the hypothalamus, which is a primitive part of the brain, triggers our sympathetic nervous system to react when it perceives danger. We call this reaction the fight-or-flight response. The fight-or-flight response is an intelligent design as far as evolution is concerned because it enables us to jump out of the way of an oncoming car in a split second, as opposed to using our more evolved rational processes to assess whether something is in fact a danger to us. If we were to use that part of our brain that's in charge of rational processes to assess whether something was a danger before reacting, we would end up getting hit by an oncoming car or bus, for example, because it would take longer to assess the situation than it would take for the oncoming car to actually hit us. The hypothalamus accomplishes this survival technique by hijacking the rest of the brain. It releases signals that overwrites the parts of our brain that are in charge of reasoning, such as the cortex. The parts of our brain that are in charge of reasoning are the parts that we associate with intelligence. But those parts of our brain are not the parts that are in charge of our behaviors or actions when our survival is threatened. Only the most primitive parts of our brain are in charge of our behaviors and actions when our survival is threatened. So what does this mean for humans in love? Because humans harbor a deep-seated association between love and survival, when we feel as if we need love from someone, suddenly our survival mechanisms are triggered. The part of our brain that begins to rule relative to the object of our love is our primitive brain. When our primitive brain is in charge of our behaviors and actions, we can no longer remain rational relative to whatever we want love from. Our evolution has primed us to act for survival before we act for logic. Our thinking mind is incapacitated. And when we feel threatened with the possibility of losing love, our bodies react as if our survival is being threatened. In other words, when it seems as if we could lose love, we biochemically react in a similar way to how we would act if we were being held underwater. I realize it's frustrating, but it is part of the original intention you came into the experience, which we call human versus another animal, is because that contrast you knew would benefit your expansion. But that being said, discovering and releasing your fears is totally essential when it comes to learning how to have good relationships and how to unconditionally love. Becoming aware of our fears is the first step, and thinking better thoughts relative to our fears is the second step. My favorite process for this particular step is Byron Katie's process called The Work. It's all about questioning the thoughts which cause us stress. So if I were you and I was dealing with a lot of stress relative to my fears and relationships, I would use that process. Tip number four, communicate completely. You can't be in a successful relationship and withhold any aspect of yourself that's sort of like expecting somebody to love someone who isn't even present in the room. It's become kind of a trite saying. Communication is key in relationships, but it doesn't make it any less true. Communication is key in relationships. You can only meet each other's needs and wants if you know who the hell you're in a relationship with. You can only meet somebody's needs and wants if you know how someone's feeling. Last week, I did a video called How to Express Your Emotions. This video presented a process which is totally amazing when it comes to having good relationships. It teaches you how to express the complete truth of how you're feeling to your partner, as well as to yourself. If you don't feel capable yet of expressing yourself verbally to your partner, 
then learn how to write a letter to your partner. Any kind of expression is absolutely paramount if you're ever to find a meeting of minds. And as far as I'm concerned, the best way to have a successful relationship is to find a meeting of minds. Tip number five, stay on the same page. Our relationships, and really every other experience in our life, is meant to do one thing, and that is to inspire us towards a preference, to inspire us towards a new desire, towards new things which we want. Now think about this relative to relationships. Any relationship you get in will give rise to new desires for relationships within you, and your happiness on this planet is dependent upon you keeping up with those new desires, on you finding alignment with them and allowing them. What that means is, you can't stay in a relationship and be happy unless the relationship itself molds to match that new desire, unless the relationship itself is the thing that is evolving. The only hope for us keeping our relationships together long term is if those relationships become the new things we desire. This is true for everyone involved in the relationship. And if that's not the case, the universe itself will separate you, or else you will separate yourself from your own joy to such a degree you will manifest an illness and you will die. This does not mean that your partner has to change to match your new desires, or that you have to change to match theirs. If it is not also in the best interest of your partner to change and evolve in accordance to your new desires, or for you to evolve and change in accordance with theirs, the relationship has run its course. We are not meant to come here and be bonded to someone forever. We are meant to follow our individual bliss and let the universe line us up with someone who is a match to that bliss. And if it is our desire to experience a lifelong love with someone, and you're able to align yourself with that desire, by of course thinking thoughts which allow that desire to come to fruition, I promise you the universe will align you with someone who can stay a match to you for the totality of your life. The Law of Attraction is managing and bringing you together with the relationships that serve your expansion the very most for the moment that you're in. This means you can trust the universe to align you with someone who's a fabulous match to all your positive aspects and also a fabulous match to all your not-so-positive aspects. It's a great way of looking in the mirror. There is no bigger mirror than relationships. It's a good idea in relationships to sit down about every six months. You could do it more often than that, but every six months at least, to sit down and to write a complete list of what you want and what you need. And then, both partners come together and they compare that list. And they ask themselves honestly, not dishonestly, does this other person's desires align with my desires and my wants, or do they go in the opposite direction of it? If they go in the opposite direction of it, we cannot remain happy and be with this person at the same time. That is an absolute. And so it's time to restructure the relationship and open it up to allow both of you to go in the direction of your own individual bliss. And that could potentially mean not together. However, if you compare these lists and it seems as if they are compatible, then you can sit down as a couple and think about ways which you could help enable each other to meet those needs together while staying in a relationship. Tip number six. Do not get specific about who you want to be in a relationship with. That limits the universe. 
when you're thinking about the things you want, the way you want to feel, or when you're doing visualizations relative to what you want, you want to think about the feeling space of being with the perfect partner. You don't want to think about the who. Because thinking about the who makes it so the universe can only operate through that who. And that's a problem. Because the universe is unlimited as it is. When you ask the universe to provide you with a partner that feels amazing to be around, that amplifies the best aspects of who you are, the universe has, let's say, seven billion people to work with. That's a lot of resource to draw from. But the minute you say, I want that to be Jill, or I want that to be Joe, you are causing the universe to have to come through a point that is as big as this straw. It now has to exclude the rest of its resources and only include this amount and bring you what you've asked for through the venue of that one person. That's especially an issue if that one person is not the best for what you've asked for. Then it's most likely that it won't even come to fruition because the universe is continually trying and trying to bring you together but you're not actually a vibrational match because what you've asked for is not actually going to come through that one person. Now I understand in relationships we've all gotten to this point where we think that our happiness can only be satisfied through this one person that we keep dreaming about that we're totally obsessed with. But then you let it go to the degree that you're able to find somebody new and you date them. And three months down the road, a year down the road, you're going, I can't believe I was ever in a relationship with that person. I'm so glad that I'm not with them anymore. I never knew it could be this good. Just because you don't currently see the possibility of the universe drawing to you someone who's better than the person you're currently wanting to be with, doesn't mean that person doesn't exist. Tip number seven. Start to recognize and begin to heal your love reincarnations. What I mean by love reincarnations is that people tend to find love situations and life situations which mirror their first expectation of love. And your first expectation of how love should look and should feel is your home environment. So if you had unhealthy situation in your upbringing relative to love, you are very likely to continue to find yourself in the same circumstance in the same circumstance. Hence why many abused women continue to find abusive spouses once they reach the certain age where they're beginning to date. We find people and we find friends that mirror the relationships we had when we were children with the first people which we came to love. Good news if you had a super healthy upbringing. Not so good news if your upbringing was not so great. I'm going to explain this concept of love reincarnation to you now. This truth about love reincarnation is especially loud if you allow yourself to make a list of all the aspects that you hated about your father and all the aspects that you hated about your mother or primary caregivers. Then you want to write a list of all the things you hate about all the primary relationships you've had in your life. And then I want you to compare the list between each significant relationships and between your primary caregivers as a child. And I want you to pick out the similarities you'll start to see a pattern. What you'll start to see is that you hate the same things about your partners and your friends that you hated about your primary relationship with your parents or caregivers. That sort of love relationship sets you up for an expectation in all of the rest of your relationships.
What you'll find is that you're primarily reincarnating the parent relationship that you had, which was the least satisfying in terms of love. So if you had a parent or a caregiver, one of your primary relationships, that you felt you did not get the kind of love you needed from, you will continue to try to reincarnate that over and over again because your brain is a self-healing mechanism. It will try to get the kind of love that it needed from the kind of person that it thinks it needs it from. So for example, if I didn't get the love I needed from daddy, I'm going to keep trying to find men like daddy and get the kind of love from them that I needed as a child. And by doing so, I will have solved my relationship with daddy. That's what our brains are trying to do. I want to give you an example from my own personal life. Most women who have been through traumatic situations as children will love reincarnate an abuser. My situation was a little bit different because my abuser was not my parents. It was someone outside of the family. And the love I didn't get primarily from my father was the love which a kid could call protection. So I had an incredibly passive father. By passive, I mean really passive. I have never seen this man get angry one time in his life. And so I didn't feel protected and therefore loved by my father. So what do I do in relationships? I find men who are super, super passive, and then I try to manufacture all kinds of situations that make it look like I'm in duress and need rescue because subconsciously I'm trying to find someone like my father but get someone like my father to rescue me and by virtue of that some part of my childhood self feels as if daddy rescued me which is what I always wanted relative to love when I was a child. What you want to do when you discover your love reincarnations is to ask yourself what is it exactly that I'm trying to get from this person? What is it that I'm trying to derive out of these relationships? And then provide those things for yourself so you no longer need them to come through another person. Being aware of these love reincarnations helps them to transmute, and what you'll find is that eventually you don't attract the same partners. Tip number eight. Work to change the decisions that you've made based on experiences that you've had, as well as the actions that those decisions cause you to carry out. To do this, you want to think about a situation that wounded you. And you want to think about what decision you made about love based on that experience. And then you want to think about what choices and actions you're taking in the day-to-day -day life because of that decision that you made about love. For example, my first girlfriend was close with me and then one day suddenly decided she wanted to be friends with a more popular girl in school, so she made fun of me said she didn't want to be my friend anymore. The decision that I made based on that experience was, I can't trust my friends to be loyal. As a result of this, the actions I take in my life is that I keep friends at an arm's length because I am always waiting for them to abandon me. I do not let people know me, and so most people leave me because they don't feel like I even like them. Another example could be, my mother was a clean freak and had to control everything about my life. The decision I made based on that is that I have to be perfect or else no one will love me. As a result, I am always trying to please other people, and I often find myself falling in love with people like my mother who cannot be pleased and who are hypercritical of my every move. Another example is, I was molested by a member of my family. 
The decision I made based on that is, I am worthless and the people I love will use me because of it. As a result of this, I can see how this led to me becoming a stripper. I don't love it, but I make good money. But when I think about it, my job now revolves around men using me for their pleasure. I've made a video in the past called How to Change a Belief. You can apply these beliefs which you formed, these decisions about love, to that process. and It'll help you to release resistance to that belief. It'll help you to change it. On top of that, changing the belief, you want to also take different actions in your life. So for example, if you believe in the previous scenario that people who love you will use you, then that's the belief that you want to start to change. But you also want to look at your life and the ways that you have been taking actions in accordance with that belief. For example, I became a stripper and now men use me for a living. And you want to start changing that. So maybe it's time to start looking for a job where you don't put yourself in a situation to get used by men every day. Tip number nine, ask for what you want and need. This may seem a contradiction to what we've said earlier about how important it is for you to provide yourself with things that make you happy, for you to provide yourself with love. Because as we know, when someone else holds the key to your love or what you need, they're in control. You're no longer in control. But it actually isn't a contradiction. Because even though you may be looking at someone else and asking them for what you want and need, you're actually asking the universe for what you want and need. And maybe those needs and wants will come through the person that you're asking. Maybe they'll come through someone else. Free will is an absolute. So don't worry about someone else trying to provide something for you that they don't actually want to provide. It won't ever work. That will unravel in the end and the person won't be able to go sideways of who they truly are enough to provide things for you that they don't actually want to provide for you. But the universe has unlimited resources to deliver you the exact criteria you've asked for for your wants, needs, and happiness. Asking for what we want and need is how to ensure that we are not starved emotionally in our relationships. We don't all have ESP relative to relationships. I know most of us expect our partners to know exactly what we want and need and to deliver it without us even asking. But that's not realistic. It's not kind to ourselves or them. People want to love you. They just don't know how. And unless you tell them what you want and need, you're not going to get anywhere. You're just going to build up a lot of resentment relative to your relationships. You will build up extreme levels of resentment if you remain committed to being in a relationship, but simultaneously you expect that your wants and needs will not be met, that you will be unsatisfied for the rest of your life. And that's also the key to having a codependent relationship where you care more about staying together than you care about actually being happy. And I promise you, either one or both of you will eventually stray and find some other way to meet those needs and wants if they're not coming through the relationship itself. I want to give you a personal example of how this worked in my life. I'm not very good at asking people to help me with anything. I'm not really good at letting them into my life. So when I have a bad day, I'm more used to going upstairs, locking myself in a room and doing some kind of process that will pull me out of the mentality than I am at calling my friends and telling them what's going on in my life. But it just so happened that this last year I formed an incredibly intense relationship, a really close relationship with a friend of mine who happened to be a female you saw earlier in a video where I demonstrated healing work. Her name is Kirsty Levitt.
Her love language is words of affirmation. What that means is she feels like her needs and wants are met in a relationship. When someone's putting effort to communicate who they are and what they love about the relationship and just calling once in a while to say, hey, this is what's going on with me. I care about you enough to let you in. So of course, because I wasn't doing that in this relationship, there were some rocks. So one day, she ended up coming over and she had the balls to say, look Teal, I don't feel like this is a really great relationship because I don't even feel like I'm participating. You never call me when you have problems. You never tell me what's going on in your life. And you don't ever tell me whether I'm doing something good or not good. So I realized at that moment that her needs were not being met relative to something I could change very quickly and wanted to because it's going to benefit me ultimately to learn how to speak this love language. And so I began making a sort of deliberate practice out of every time that I experienced something, good or bad, I'd just send her a text message or pick up the phone and express what was going on in my life. I can't even tell you how much our relationship improved based on that one change, which would never have taken place if she didn't have the balls to tell me what she needed or wanted. Tip 10, and this is the final tip. Feed people love every single day by feeding them the three A's. Number one, attention, which means find time each day to give them a bit of your undivided attention. Two, affection. Find time each day to show them a little bit of affection. Three, appreciation. Find time each day to give them some verbal gratitude or some kind of verbal validation. These three A's are how to feed a relationship with love on a daily basis. If this doesn't come naturally to you to just show your love in this way, then what I want you to do is to pick a random interval during the day and set your alarm clock so it will go off throughout the day. And when the alarm clock goes off, look over those three A's and pick something that's in accordance with one of those A's that you can do to express some kind of love to the person or people in your life. So maybe the timer goes off and you send a text message. Maybe the timer goes off and you walk into the room where your partner is and you put your hand on their head or you give them a kiss. Or maybe you write a love letter or maybe you bring them home a gift. Whatever it is that you choose to do throughout the day you want to make sure that you're doing them. When we starve our relationships is when we stop doing them. We work 24 hours a day, so we're never around our partner. We may never learn to tell them what we love about them. We just assume they should know. These kinds of things which we do sabotage our relationships. It doesn't matter whether you've been married for 40 years. It's time to go downstairs and hug your wife or your husband. That being said, it's really important that we learn the five languages of love. There's a man named Gary Chapman who worked as a marriage counselor for years upon years and he was really interested in finding out what made relationships work. And so he studied human interaction and found out that no matter what continent you're on, no matter what race you are, humans have five basic ways that they express love to each other. And the five basic ways are this. Words of affirmation. Physical touch acts of service, quality time, and gifts. Now ideally, we would speak every single one of these languages. 
we come in actually knowing how to speak all of these languages. But our situations growing up tell us which ways are appropriate and which ways are not appropriate to express our love to other people. But we all come in with a primary love language. That means it's our strongest way that we feel and usually give love. Mine, for example, is gifts. Now, the idea goes that if you want to be in a happy relationship with someone, you've got to figure out what their primary love language is and meet that love language. You have to learn how to speak it. And I'm in complete agreement with this. You need to speak the person's love language that you're in a relationship with, regardless of whether that's a romantic or a friendship relationship. It's a lot easier than expecting them to come out of their love language and to start speaking your love language. We can learn to speak every single one of them, and like I said, that's ideal. But it's okay to ask people that are in relationships with you to show you love in the language you speak the most frequently and the most fluently. So find out what your love language is and pay close attention to the people that you're in relationships with in your life to try to find out how it is that they receive love. Because you may be trying to show them love inside your love language, and that's not even a language they currently speak. This is why, for example, you all know Blake. Blake's the one that lives with me. Blake's love language is service. And so constantly, all day long, you'll watch him. He's milling around the house, and he's doing dishes, and he's doing projects. And for a long time, I always felt like Blake didn't love me. And I was frustrated at him constantly. Why? I don't speak the love language of service at all. To me, dishes just have to be done. So if someone does them, it's not an act of love. It's just because they need to be done. So I was missing the fact that Blake was trying to show me love all day, every day. Then I taught him how to speak in my love language, and I recognized it when he was doing acts of service out of love. And now I see that it's one of the most loving relationships I have in my life. It's amazing what can happen when you start to learn these love languages. Not only that, you'll start to discover that even your worst enemies are trying to express love to you, but they're trying to express love to you in a way that you don't receive love yet. It is my promise that these simple steps will make all the difference in the world. They can turn really crappy relationships that are full of no love currently into blossoming relationships which are serving you and your expansion. So to sign off, I want to thank all of you for your love and your support and your attention to me. It benefits me greatly, and I do want you to know that I love all of you. Have a good week.